0: Really excited to kind of finish up this two-part series, Pain to Purpose. And, uh, you know, I was thinking about freedom today because obviously it's it's July 4th, it's Independence Day, and I was driving here and I was thinking about how real true freedom exists in Christ. And and Scripture tells us that it's in Christ that we have been set free, but we've been set free in two ways. We've been set free from something, right, from the power of of sin and death, from the hold that uh, the enemy has tried to place on our lives, from the strongholds uh, that shackle us down, we've been set free from something, but come on, how many of you know we've been set free for something as well. we've been set free for purpose, for a calling, to make a difference. We are We play a part in this massive thing that God is doing in building his kingdom. and so um, that's real true freedom. and we can live in any country in any nation. I'm grateful for the freedoms that we have here in the United States, but, but men. The <laughs> If, if all of our freedoms are taken away, that freedom can't be taken away, and that's what's so great about living in the kingdom of God, because this kingdom is different. It's other than this world, and so that's what I was grateful for driving here, and, uh, and so we're, we want to talk about this, because there are some things the enemy wants to do to neutralize us, to, uh, to paralyze us in our past, in our mistakes, in our pain, and God wants to leverage those things and turn them around for purpose. That's what we've been talking about this series. Series. and uh, just a couple things I want to I want to invite you again to our workshop that we're doing on July 12th uh, you don't need to register for this just show up we'd love to have you um, it's going to be a packed house make sure you show up early we're gonna have great worship and uh, we're just going to walk through some of the practical things that we've been talking about here on where your, your first steps or your next steps are we also uh, as, a, as a ministry that the ministry I lead I just teach here once a month um, get to be a part of this family but my wife and I lead a ministry called nothing is waste so we travel all, all over the country and we launch our our pain-to-purpose course in churches. And we are right now in the throes of releasing a 42-day devotional. Uh, On your way out at the Welcome Center, you can grab one of these guys right here if you want to pre-order it. And there's a lot of cool bonuses uh, in that pre-order. And uh, if you use the code MERCY, MERCY for you guys, Mercy Road, right? If you use the code MERCY, you get 20% off on that. And it's cool because some of you guys have already pre-ordered it. You've already started receiving some email drips of the devotions early and there's a little teaching video that corresponds to each one and that goes for 42 days and then you get this devotional on your doorstep uh july 22nd it's a great resource for you if you're if you're going through something if you're not if you just want to get god's word in you um, then, then this is great, but this is also a great resource for if there's someone in your life that is going through a difficult time to give it to them. People ask us all the time, are there any great resources out there? There's a lot of great resources out there. There's some that are not good. Okay. I'll just be honest with you through experience, but there are a lot of great ones and and we think this could be added to that list for you. And so we'd encourage you to buy it for someone else as well. All right. You guys ready to dive in? All right. Uh, let's go to first Samuel chapter 30. First Samuel chapter thirty we 're going to be in this story of a man named David, and I love David uh, for a lot of reasons, but man, I just thought with a, with a name like David you can 't go wrong right. And so we're going to talk about this. Sorry, that was a joke. Bad joke. We're going to talk about David because David finds himself in a situation where he feels very overwhelmed and in distress. And I'm sure that many of us have felt that way. There's been some kind of thing that's happened to us or a byproduct of something that we've done. We feel overwhelmed. We feel overtaken. We feel like we're walking through some kind of adversity. And I want to dispel a myth that exists in church world. And uh, maybe you know it's a myth. Maybe you don't. But here's the myth. Are you ready for this? God will never put on you more than what you can handle, okay? Some of you may have heard, and you've bought into this lie, but I'm telling you, there is nothing in Scripture that says God will never put on you more than what you can handle, okay? Now, what people do is they take this verse that says, no temptation has seized you beyond what is common to man, and when you are tempted, that he will always provide a way out for you. They've taken that, and they've twisted it to make them feel better and say, God will never put on you more than what you can handle, okay? Because here's the problem. I've experienced things that are more than what I can handle, how many of you? Same thing, right? You're like, so what does that do that leaves us with this wrestling where we're trying to reconcile? Well, well, does that mean I'm not close to God because something is more than what I can handle? And now is he punishing me or is he like brought this thing on my life because he's trying to get me back for something or, or did I lose faith or what happened here? And I, and I want to tease this out. I do believe that God actually does both put some things on us that are more than what we can handle, and allows things into our lives that are more than we can, what we can handle, okay? Now, um, we, we see this in the life of David here, but I, I, I get this because as a father, I do this to my kids. I do it to my kids. I put on them something that's more than what they can handle, and it's to build them up, right? And it's also to, because I love them. So, just this past winter, I put something on uh, our youngest, who's 19 months and uh, he would just just turn a year, and he was just like learning to walk. And this is what I put on him right here, <laughs> and it was more than what he could handle. Okay. <laughs> Like he had just learned to walk. He's just kind of getting his little legs all, you know, and then we put this on him and he's trying to walk in this thing and, and he gets up and then he like bends over to pick something up and all I hear is, eh, eh. and so I come over to rescue him, pick up the thing he wants to pick up, put it in his hands. I turn away to walk away and he's still going, eh, 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 and it dawns on me, he's stuck, <laughs> he can't get up. He's like the kid from a Christmas story. He's just like, eh, you know, and so finally he starts learning how to do this, and he starts walking. Here's a, here's a video of him walking. Isn't that so cute? But I'm like, where's your legs, bro? Like what? Like this thing has just engulfed him. And look at him trying to stand up. I can watch this over and over. This is amazing. So he, but he's learning how, and, and originally I put this on him. Why did I put this on him? Why? because it's cold outside. I was trying to protect him. It's actually good for him that I'm putting it on him, even though it's overwhelming for him initially, okay? This is the same thing that happens in our lives. This is the same thing that David is confronted with that we have to talk about today, and in 1 Samuel chapter 30, there is a crazy tragedy, at least that's what it looks like initially in David's life, and so let's read it right here. Starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, David and his his men reach Ziklag on the third day. Come on, can I just stop and preach that for a second? Because every time you see something in scripture that says, on the third day, it's pointing to something. How many of you know that when the third day comes, there's always a miracle that comes in scripture? Let's go. Jesus was dead and in the tomb, and everybody thought that it was over, and the enemy thought he had his day. But what? On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. So anytime we see that in scripture, We've got to go, wait, well, what's going on right here? There's going to be a story of rescue or restoration or resurrection in this. So so zero in. Now, context, what's happening here, his men are coming back from Ziklag. Ziklag, or he's coming back to Ziklag. This is their camp. This is a Philistine city, okay? So David, at this time period of his life, he's not King David yet. He's been anointed king, but he hasn't been appointed king. Okay? And and so by the way, different sermon for a different time. There's a fifteen year gap between when he's anointed king and when he's appointed king. How many of you know there's usually a gap between the time God gives you some kind of dream or promise and when that comes to fruition? Totally different sermon. Can't, can't preach that. I got a different one. I'll, I'll do that later. Okay. But he's anointed. But he's not appointed yet. And he actually goes in and listens Saul's service to play the harp because Saul has a mental illness. And then Saul, the king, he gets jealous of David. So one day while he's playing the harp, he throws a spear at David to try to kill him. This sends David on the run for years. So, and he, he, he gets to a place where he feels so unsafe that he feels like the best thing for him to do is actually go hide behind enemy lines. This is crazy. So he goes to the Philistines. Now the Philistines, these are like the same people that Goliath came from right? This is the enemies of God. He goes to Achish, who is a commander of the Philistines. He says, hey man, I've actually deserted the Israelite army. I'm not with them anymore. And he deceives Achish into thinking that he now wants to be one of them. So they're like, oh wow, this is awesome. Okay, David's a mighty, let's put him behind enemy lines. Let's put him with us right now. And so David goes behind enemy lines. He uses this as an opportunity to pillage and plunder other enemies, so he and his men, they leave Ziklag every day, and they go and raid the Amalekites or the Gershites. Or the, and so he's kind of using this as this covert you know operations, and it's really brilliant. But how many of you know that if you go and advance against an enemy, there comes a day where the enemy says, that's enough, and I'm going to advance against you? This happens to David right here, because watch this. It says, David, they come back to Ziklag. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it. And look, had taken captive the women and everyone else in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. David has advanced against the enemy, and now the enemy retaliates. I need you to understand that while this happened in the physical, this also happens in the spiritual. Did you know that you and I, if you're a believer, you and I are caught up in a spiritual battle? Ephesians 6 tells us that we don't fight a battle of flesh and blood, although sometimes it does manifest itself in the flesh. We fight a battle of the principalities, of the supernatural. There really is a war waging between God and the enemies of God, Satan and his minions. And Satan has come to do nothing but steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal your joy. Now, listen, he can't steal your salvation if you're in Christ. You are sealed. But he certainly can neutralize you and paralyze you by stealing your joy. He wants to rob from you the God-given destiny that God has placed on you. He wants to destroy your, your happiness and your fulfillment and your and, and your purpose in life. And he's going to raid against your life all kinds of different pain points to try to neutralize you, okay? Now, there are four different reasons that we're experiencing pain. We call it the four perpetrators of pain. This is gonna seem very oversimplified, but this is as, it's as simple as I can get it for you, okay? Four perpetrators of pain. The first one is Pain comes into our lives as a result of someone else's sinful decisions, right? Someone else has acted because there's this thing called free will. They've decided to to, to do what they want and and act in selfishness, and it encroaches on our lives, and we become victims of someone else's actions. That's the first perpetrator of pain. The second perpetrator of pain is our own sinful choices, right? Right? We, we've done something. We've stepped outside of God's best and God's ways for doing things. And so even though there is freedom from that, there's forgiveness from that, there's no condemnation for that for those who are in Christ Jesus, some of us are still living with some of the consequences and pain from the ripple effects of that. So that's the second perpetrator of pain. The third one is there's a spiritual attack against us. This is what's happening right here in this passage. This is what I want to talk about a little bit more today. A spiritual attack of the, in, the, in a realm that we can't see, but we can perceive, okay? And then the fourth one is just because we live in a fallen and broken world, that sin has fractured this world. And so now, because of that, there's an ever-increasing unraveling of the world, and so we are caught up in that, being born into this world. You get it? Four perpetrators of pain. Let's lean in on the spiritual one first, Because when you and I enlist in the kingdom of God, when we receive what Jesus did for us on the cross, believe that he raised from the dead, we now are on Jesus' side, Jesus' team, and at that point, there is a target that is placed on our back. In that moment, because the enemy can't steal our salvation, he wants to try to neutralize our effectiveness. So he will bring discouragement. He will bring all kinds of things in our way. The fiery darts of the enemy is what Ephesians 6 calls us to try to get us to retreat from working in the kingdom. Practically speaking, how many of you guys know that as soon as you make a decision for Christ, right, whether it's a salvation decision or whether it's an obedience decision, you leave this service and you go, I'm going to change something, I'm going to repent from something, all of a sudden it seems like there's an onslaught. There's all this discouragement that comes your way, right? And it can be little tiny minor things, like your car breaks down, right? And it might not even be like the enemy's just using this to discourage you. The car, Your car broke down because you didn't put oil in it for the past three years, okay? It's not... And You're like blaming the other people, or the enemy for something. They, but, but the enemy will use these things and they will start creeping these lies into your mind to say, oh my gosh, it's because I made an advance in the kingdom of God on the enemy. So because of that, I think I'd rather remain neutral and just not do anything to advance on the kingdom, right? Or advance on the kingdom of darkness. Isn't that what we kind of t- tend to do? Now, by reasoning, if we decide to remain neutral because we're just a little bit intimidated by having a target on our backs... What have, we done, what have we then done? We've played right into the enemy because he wants us to be neutral. So he goes, okay, cool. Don't got to worry about them. I don't need it. So here's what, here's what I'm saying. If you find that you're not experiencing resistance, I want you to do a double check, which is, by the way, the first thing that you've got to write down that we've got to talk about today, resistance. If you're not experiencing this, You need to do a double check in your own life and say, am I advancing for the kingdom of God against the kingdom of darkness? Because if you're not experiencing resistance, it might be because the enemy's like, yeah, I don't got to worry about that person because they're neutralized. They've already taken themselves out of the equation, which encourages those of us who are experiencing resistance, right? Who are experiencing some opposition, who are experiencing some discouragement because the lie that you've told yourself is that you're experiencing this because you've kind of like strayed away from God, or that you're outside the faith, or maybe you don't like you, you can't be effective for the kingdom. It might be that you're experiencing so much opposition and resistance because the devil knows how effective you can be. He's put a target on your back, and he's trying to do everything he can to discourage you. Come on, that is encouraging to me. So you've got you've to kind of understand there's a spiritual battle that's going on here. And when you can rise above it and you can get some clarity on the spiritual battle, it helps you to make decisions within the, the battle itself. So David and his men, they come back, they experience this tragedy, and their responses to this, or at least David's response, gives us clues into how we can respond properly so that our pain can be leveraged into purpose. Now, the first thing I have to ask, though, is why didn't God prevent this? Why didn't God prevent this? Because he could have, right? I mean, couldn't he have come in like, put his, like, angel army around Ziklag and stopped it? Couldn't he have, like, thwarted the plan of the enemy? Absolutely. But he didn't. And I wrestle with that. So I wrestle with it in my own life. Like when three men broke into my house almost six years ago, shot and killed my wife, why didn't God stop that? What I had to start realizing is that there are so many numerous times in my own life that in times that I don't even know that God has stopped the plan of the enemy, that he's thwarted it, that he's rerouted it, that he has protected, that he has put a hedge around us. There are so many times that we don't even acknowledge days and, and minutes and, and weeks and years that we go about and do our own life and God has hedged around us. And And, and I wonder why it is that the moment that it feels like he doesn't, we point our fists at God and we blame him, but we never thank him for all the different moments that we never see that he does protect us. That's the first place I had to go. That's the first place I felt convicted. And so I'm going, well, God, well, why didn't, can, can you explain this to me? Can you help me understand this? And, and, and it feels like that as I kind of stepped out to do ministry and stepped out to start a church and stepped out to be on your call, now it feels like this massive onslaught from the enemy. What's the deal? And, and, and so I started recognizing a couple things. One, God doesn't always intervene to prevent prevent. prevent something from happening in our lives, but he always intervenes to produce something out of what happens in our lives. Come on. Scripture tells us that no matter what takes place, every trial, every tribulation, it's producing for us something that is an even greater weight than the light affliction is what scripture calls it. The light affliction doesn't feel light, does it? Doesn't feel light, does it? No. Okay. So as heavy as your affliction feels, if it's called light in comparison to the heaviness of the glory that we're going to experience because of what it's producing, how heavy is the glory that we're going to experience? It doesn't even compare. So, so are y'all with me? Like this is, this is stuff I haven't said in the first two services, but I just feel like you're ready for me. Okay. Okay. So so it's producing. He always intervenes to produce something for us, right? But then I had to wrestle with these these natural laws and these spiritual laws. Because there's a natural law that governs the universe. Uh, It's laws that God put in place. Newton's third law. Do you know this law? For every action, there is an opposite and equal reaction, right? This is a law that governs the physical realm. Now, there is a spiritual law that is similar, but not the same. Because for every action that we partake in, in the spiritual, there is an opposite reaction. Okay? The enemy is going to, he's going to stir up his forces as we begin to advance on the enemy. It's opposite. Oh, but praise God that it's not equal. Oh, come on, somebody. Scripture tells us, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It tells us no weapon formed against me can prosper, right? It might be an opposite reaction, but it's not an equal reaction because God always takes what the enemy means for evil, and he turns it around for good. Timothy Keller says it this way, that he allows evil enough space that it ultimately terminates itself. woo that he's gonna allow some bad things to take place in our lives, some overwhelming things, some affliction. He's gonna allow these things that ultimately it triggers something in the unnatural realm, the spiritual realm, that ultimately terminates the evil that's happening in our lives. Come on, friends. This is what redemption looks like. That means God's the greatest jujitsu artist there is. Jiu-jitsu is like this martial art form where you you use the opponent's enemy or the opponent's uh, momentum against the opponent, right? And so the opponent comes at you and you just kind of do a little flip on it, right? This is what God does. He's done it all throughout history. He did it with the ultimate moment of history where he sent his son Jesus and Satan thought that he had his heyday with Jesus when he went to the cross, thought that he had won, but scripture gave us a prophecy that says though he struck his heel, Jesus what? Crushed his head. He leverages our pain. For a purpose, Genesis 50 says that what you meant for evil, God means for good and for the saving of many lives. So it's good for you and it's good for others. It's not a zero-sum game, friends. This is truth for you and for everybody else. This is the double win that God can bring in the midst of our pain. But in these moments where you come across tragedy, it's easy to know this, but it's not easy to feel it because David's going, wow, and it gets worse. It gets worse. In fact, I'm going to skip ahead here in a second before I tell you what exactly David does. Um, David's men begin to blame David for this. In fact, uh, it says David was in such distress because he saw they wanted to drag him out and stone him. Now, hold up a second. If you know anything about David's men, these are like the mighty men of David. These men came to David in the cave of Adullam voluntarily because they saw something in David. And in the trajectory of David's life, they said, I want to be a part of. It says they were discontented, in debt, and disgruntled, and they came around David, and he developed them into these mighty warriors. So David has poured his life into these men, and one tragedy happens, and these men turn on David. Can I encourage you with something? Perhaps you felt this in your life, where other people take their pain, and they turn it on you. Because, listen, you got to understand, people that you have to put your pain somewhere. And if you're not putting your pain in its proper place, which is at the feet of Jesus, you will ultimately put your pain on somebody else. And it will lead to you blaming other people for the pain that you're sitting in right now. <sighs> there is nothing that paralyzes us more than having a blaming mentality. You can't blame anybody else for the misery that you're in. Baby, that sounds really, that sounds really harsh friends listen even in the most victim of situations abuse exploitation of any kind i mean in my situation where where there's nothing i can do to change the outcome of this in complete victimhood you might be a victim But to remain in a place of casting blame only robs you of being able to move out of that place. No matter what has happened to us, friends, I need to plead with you and implore with you because I see people for years and years and years and years just blaming everybody else for why they are the way they are. No matter what happens to you, The Holy Spirit of God has been given to you so that you can walk in victory. So even if there's a little tiny minute thing that you can do about what's taking place, you've got to do that thing. Listen to me. People can take all of your stuff, everything you own, all of it, but they can't steal your salvation. They can take all of your possessions, everything within your grasp, everything that you have in your life, but they cannot take away your praise. They can't take from you the thing that only God can give to you. And so friends, listen to me. I, you've got to understand if you're going to walk out of the paralysis of pain, you have to adopt a mentality that says, no matter what, I have an ability to choose how I'm going to respond in this. And it's not someone else's fault that I am the w- where I am at right now. This is somehow God saw this fit to walk, to go through his sovereign hand as a gift to me. What? A gift? How in the world can you call this a gift, Davy? I couldn't. I couldn't. How do we call pain a gift? I read this, um, this woman named Elizabeth Elliot one time. You guys know her story? If you don't, you need to Google it, Un- unbelievable. She lost her first husband to murder, really prolific story. Her second husband, she lost to cancer. She was writing this between her second and her third husband and she talked about the gain or the gift of loss. And when I read it, I was like, how in the world do you call this a gift? And this is what she said. She said, what you gain in, relation, in relationship to the giver far outweighs the loss of the gift. Did you catch that? What you gain in relationship to the giver far outweighs the loss of the gift. Friends, there is nothing in our lives, nothing, that we could lose that could match what we gain to the only person who can fully and finally satisfy us. And I can't, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm there. But the more that I lean into Christ in all of this, the more I begin to see what she's saying could actually be true. I would have loved to be able to stand up here to, with you know as a pastor and just say, this is absolutely true, and I'm feeling it completely. I'm, I'm starting to. But it's a journey. So I don't say this flippantly, but I'm gonna tell you right now, I am leaning into the fact that every single thing. That flows through the hands of a sovereign God and into my life, somehow God sees it as a gift to me, good or bad. And that even if I don't see it right now, that means he's got something worked up in the future that it's going to to somehow solidify in me as I lean into him and trust him that this actually is working out for my gain more so than it is my loss. Scripture says every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. So anything that comes into our life, though it may look like a curse right now, is a gift to us. And anything that's withheld from us that we think would be a gift would actually be a curse if he gave it to us. You see, God gives us everything we would ask for if we knew everything he knows. Okay. I didn't say this in the first couple of services, y'all. He gives us everything we would ask for if we knew everything that he knows. And though I can't see it, there's there's something that I've got to do to tap into this paradigm that helps me to live it. This is faith. So how did David respond that helps him tap into this paradigm? Well, the first thing it says, look at this. It says in verse, um, <clears throat> says there's in verse, verse four. It says, then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. You see this? The very first thing they did, they wept. They wept. This is the first and best and most appropriate response when pain comes into our life is to weep. Don't push it aside. Don't try to whitewash it with some kind of pithy theological phrase. Oh, everything happens for a reason. Or No, 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 no. Don't go there. Weep. Because you've experienced loss. And it doesn't matter if it's a loss of a loved one through death or loss of something. Every disappointment or pain that we experience is a Loss. I don't know what it was, but for some reason, for the first several weeks and even months before or after I lost my wife, I thought that I was supposed to, like, be strong, right? I'm supposed to stand in front of national television and be strong. I'm supposed to stand on stage in the church I'm pastoring and be strong. I'm supposed to be, be strong for my son, and what was happening inside of me is that grief was beginning to overtake me. It was festering and rotting inside of me because I wasn't walking into what scripture calls lament. We're just, we don't, we don't do this very well in American culture. We're too busy. We just stuff it. We push it aside. We don't want to deal with the negative emotions and the hurt and the loss. And so we just continue as is. Pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and just callous up and go. And it says that David wept. There's something about this response right here that unlocked something. See, my counselor told me, told me it this way. He said, uh, maybe you can, you can numb all those negative emotions. You can try to run away from those and escape those, but you can't selectively numb. So if you're going to numb those negative emotions, you're going to, by virtue, also numb the positive emotions that you want to eventually feel. Numbing is numbing. So if you want to numb, okay, just know that that's what's going to happen. You, you don't want to experience the deep, dark places of, of grief and, and pain and agony and anguish. Okay, that's, that's, that's fine, but you're also not going to experience the joy and the elation and the newness of life and the resurrection that God wants to bring you. See, this is all through Scripture, friends. It's always in this order. That first we have to experience the depth of these emotions before we can truly experience the height of the emotions that, that God wants to bring us to. We, we, Though weeping may tarry through the night, what? But joy comes in the morning, right? Ecclesiastes, there's a time for for weeping, and then there's a time for laughing. There's a time for mourning, and then there's a time for dancing. There's a time for tearing down, and there's a time for building up, but it's always in this order that there's always some kind of negative emotion of suffering before we can experience the resurrection. Isn't this what Paul said too? That I want to share in his resurrection, but in order to share in his resurrection, I must first share in his what? Sufferings. And this is the thing that keeps us paralyzed more than anything else, friends, is we're afraid of those emotions, so we don't want to experience those. Listen, I don't want an ugly cry in my car next to anybody at a stoplight just as much as you don't. But somehow this is the key that unlocks it for us. And it brings us into the portal where God can meet us. It says they wept until they had no strength, and I wonder if it's because God had to empty them of themselves so he could fill them with something better. strength i thought i was supposed to be strong but the reality is is my first approach needed to be to recognize my weakness why would god put on us something more than what we can handle to show us that we can't handle it but we need someone else to step in so then what does he do this is crazy it says the next thing he does this is in verse 7 he said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. What? I wouldn't have said bring me. I, first of all, I didn't even know when I read this. I didn't even know what an ephod was. I'm like, Is that from like Star Wars? Is that like a lightsaber and an ephod? That's, those are my two weapons. Like what? I would have said bring me my sword. Bring me my horse. We're going to go and get, get him back. We're going to like, we are going to take revenge on the enemy. But that's not what he did. That's not what he did. He said, bring me the ephod. The ephod was the outer garment that the priest would take in to the Holy of Holies when he would make sacrifice on behalf of the people. It's the outer garment he would wear when the people would go to worship God. It was a a signifier, an outer signifier of worship. It's also called in scripture, the garment of praise. So David... In his most tragic moment, he decides his first step after weeping and emptying himself is to put on the garment of praise. Incidentally, there's another place in scripture that we see him in a a linen ephod. A few chapters later, he's king and he's marching valiantly back into the city and there's a parade because he's just had this major military conquest and he's Marching with all of his spoils into the city and the women are swooning out the windows at him. In fact, his wife got really jealous of it and she rebuked him because of it because all he's doing is he's dancing in a linen ephod. You know the song that was like, I'll become even more undignified than this, right? And, and, and this is what David says. He goes, no, 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 I'm gonna, I'm gonna praise my God because of the triumph that he just brought me into. But he didn't just praise his God in the triumph. No, 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 no. Before, (laughs) he praised his God in the tragedy. He puts on a garment of praise in the most tragic moment of his life. Why? You ever heard the phrase, dress to impress? You ever heard that phrase? I think David's trying to tell us right here that one of the keys... To walking in purpose and freedom out of pain is to dress to impress. I don't mean dressing to impress somebody else in your life, I mean dress to impress something upon your heart. Because your heart is experiencing some emotions, and your emotions can lead you astray. And once you take your emotions to God, the thing you got to do next is you got to start reminding your emotions of the promises of God. Because if you focus too much on your problems, your problems just get bigger and bigger and bigger. But what David knew is that if I start focusing on the promises of God, if I impress upon my heart the promises of God, if I take to God my praises, no matter what's happening in my life. Something can unlock inside of me. Some perspective can shift inside of me. I can gain a clarity that rises above the waves of the storm. And he turns it back to praise. And this would set some of us free because some of us come into service and we, we give God praise in the weeks that we're good. And thank you, God. We're on the mountaintop. Woo! You know, on the mountaintop at best, you can you can know about God because you see his acts. You can see what he does for you. But it's in the valley that you really get to know God because you find out who he really is. And if our praise is always contingent on what he does for us, it will leave us empty. But if our praise is contingent on who he is, no matter what, we know That he is an anchor for our soul in times of trouble. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. That no matter what everything tells us around us, we can truly hold fast to who God is. Why would he allow more on us than what we can handle? Because he wants us to get to know him. How do you know that he's a comforter? How do you know? The only way that you know he's a comforter is to be in a situation where you need comforting that nobody else can provide for you. How do you know he's a provider? The only way you know he's a provider is when nobody else can provide what you need. Nobody else can bring the provision, but he can. And miraculously, he dispenses something personal into our lives when we go to him in praise, when we look to him in our time of need, when we look to him and say, no matter what you do, whether in triumph or tragedy, God, whether you give or take away, I'm choosing to put on praise. This is why scripture tells us, put off the old and put on the new, right? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. There is something that we've got to put on when God has put on us more than what we can handle. And we put on praise. You dress for the job you want rather than the job you have. You dress for the attitude you want rather than the attitude you have. Because if you dress for the attitude that you want, friends your feelings will begin to follow and something happens okay all right i'm i'm really ending it right now because this is what's crazy after he praises this is what he does he goes okay god what do i do see it's only then it's only then that he could he could he could learn and discern the next steps that god had for him only after he wept emptied himself put on praise then he goes okay god what do i do what do i do And he asked the Lord this. Oh my gosh, don't miss this. He says, should I go and take them back? Should I go and raid and rescue? And God says, yes. Go take them back. I believe in every one of our pain stories the invitation that god has for us is he saying come on let's go take it back i don't know what trajectory your story has taken i don't know what detour the enemy has led you on i don't know what kinds of crossroads you've wound yourself in i don't know what kind of territory he has encroached upon you and he has stolen from you but it's time now friends to go and take it back. He's inviting us to go and raid against the enemy once more and not stand neutralized and not stand paralyzed, but to go and take it back. Friends, how many of you are so discontented about the fact that the enemy has stolen something from you? He has robbed something from you, and now he's inviting you, let's go take it back. Let's go take it back. Let's go take it back. back." Let's go take it back. And it's only through praise, through the power of God, working in and through us that we can take back our story. You're not a victim of it anymore. You have the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead and he's saying, let's go. Let's go take it back. So that's my invitation. It's the same invitation that God's asked all of us to to step into. Would, Would you, as we say, Would you partner with God to take back your story? Because no story is too far gone, but you have a choice.